any given Monday. The weekend's over, the final sirens have sounded. We've got our winners and losers, our champs and our chumps. Any given Monday. So now it's time to look back and evaluate all the games, dramas and controversies from the best sport in the world. Any given Monday. So forget about those back-to-work blues and settle in for this week's edition of Any Given Monday. Please join your hosts, author and historian Dr Dan Eddy and local football expert Owen Carter as they're joined by special weekly guests for your most comprehensive wrap of the weekend's action. Let's get to it. Any Given Monday. Well, hello and thanks for joining us on any given Monday for the grand final edition of uh, of our of our favourite podcast uh, with my mate Owen Carter and myself, Doctor Dan Eddy. We uh, we've loved talking footy all year, but this is by far my favourite week of the year. And uh, yeah, forget Christmas, forget birthdays. I might even say forget my son's birthday. That's how <laughs> that's how much I love this week. So. Um, plenty to talk about and we've got a very special guest we'll introduce in a second who knows a bit about Grand Final Day but uh, oh, how are you mate and uh, are you excited for the week ahead? Oh, as excited as I can be for a Geelong <laughs> Richmond Grand Final I guess you could say uh, I hope uh, just backpedalling a bit there I hope Ernie doesn't uh, <laughs> get a hold of this episode uh, in a few years to come because I don't think he'll be too happy no, He needs that. to learn early that uh, there's one day of the year that Dad uh, just shuts down all other parts of his life and it's grand final day. And I've been lucky enough to be at eight of them, as <laughs> obviously as a spectator, but have you been to any, mate? Uh, no, sadly not. So uh, for those that listen to the podcast, they would be well aware I'm a Saints man, but I didn't manage to get to uh, any of the, the recent ones. I was 16 in the 97 ones, so I uh, sat and sulked at home for that one. Uh, yes. But uh, yes. <laughs> uh, I, I got to sit and sulk with mates for the 09 in the, in the 2010. So uh, no, having been one, uh, lucky enough to be involved in some junior premierships myself. Though. Yeah, no, they all count. And I... Uh, I was fortunate, as an Essendon man, I was fortunate to be at the 2000 Grand Finals, so that uh, will go down as a highlight for me. But I was also there for all of Brisbane's uh, three Pete's Port's first one, um, and Sydney's uh, drought-breaking one. And I was there for the draw, which was sensational. My cousin Robert Eddy from uh, down our way, down Langatha yes. way, he, uh, he was part of that St Kilda team that day. So I took my dad, a Saints fan, and my mum, a Collingwood fan, along, and I sat in between them, and we actually got to walk out of there with no one being too angry because uh, there was no <laughs> losers that day. So that was it was a good thing. But, uh, no, it's a fantastic day, and we're going to talk about Richmond and Geelong shortly, but uh, I wanted to start by getting in, uh, getting in straight into uh, a man who uh, knows a thing or two about Grand Final Day. He's, he was a bit unlucky a couple of times, and it was a case of third time lucky. Uh, I'm talking about Warren Wow Jones, as he's known. Uh, he played 123 games between 1978 and 88, 92 for the Blues, 31 for the Saints. It was at the at the Blues where he made uh, where he made his legend. Um, he told me one time. I played to win and I did whatever I needed to do from a team's perspective to win the game. I wanted to come off the ground and say to myself, I've done the best I can to improve from last week. He was a hard-as-nails competitor, oh, and I, uh, I know being an ex-Saints man, uh, you, you, you've got a fondness for him too. And uh, Warren, wow, Jones, thanks for joining us, mate. Yeah, thanks for having me on, uh, Dan and Owen. 
Oh, I know you live up in Sydney and you're not far from a pretty handy beach up there. You, you're just enjoying the uh, exact opposite sort of lifestyle to us down here in Victoria at the moment. Yeah, we've been pretty lucky. Uh, you know, you guys in Melbourne, I, my, my heart goes out to you. It's, uh, it's pretty tough down there. You know, we did a, a lockdown for you know three or four weeks or something, but you guys have just been uh, it's been never ending. So it's pretty tough. But I live on the beach at Manly, and uh, we can get out out and about. And uh, I, although I've got an injury at the moment, a, a reconstructed ankle, I can't swim, but I normally swim every day. And uh, I'm missing that aspect, but at the same time, I'm able to get down to the beach and at least look at the waves coming in and uh, just enjoying life. And he, uh, I know uh, my, my scouts up there tell me that he does a good David Hasselhoff just running along the beach when he's fit and firing too. So if you're ever up Manly Beach way in summer, <laughs> watch out for the big whale just uh, trotting along in his red speedos. It's pretty hard though on the beach. I, um, you know, I just can't seem to get the horses down. <laughs> too much horsepower. <laughs> Mate, um, grand final week is uh, obviously. A special week for anyone who played in a grand final and you missed out in you're at Carlton during a great era and I wrote about it in my Larrikins and Legends book that 79 to 82 period where the club won three premierships and, and, and came close in 80 as well so they had a fantastic four year period and you were there for all of that but uh, you miss out in 79 and then you miss out again in 81 both through injury so just tell us about the disappointment of missing out on those two and, and getting to 1982 and thinking you know have I missed my chance or yeah exactly right um, you know there's a lot of players out there that have, uh, would love to play in the grand final and uh, you know in 79 I um, I was told on Wednesday night that I um, could possibly play because Percy Jones had a, a crook ankle Yep. And I went out there and uh, trained uh, a bit over, <laughs> over-trained and uh, ended up pulling a hamstring. So that was the end of that year. And then uh, 81, mm-hmm. uh, again, we made the grand final and uh, I'd actually been injured in uh, around about uh, round um, 10 or 11. And I was getting over a knee injury and uh, it just it was just about two or three weeks um, too soon to come back, although I was offered to... You know, if I came back and played a reserve game at the end of the year, the last home and around, but I'd only been, you know, like nine weeks after an operation. It's usually about 12 or 13 before you can actually go out there with um, any confidence. So I decided to live to fight another day. I thought we had a pretty good team. Um, and then I was lucky enough or fortunate enough to have the opportunity in 82, but uh, it certainly was a, a period of time when, you know, we had a, a lot of um, uh, grand final opportunities, where, whereas a lot of other players never get that uh, that chance at all. So, yeah, just um, just just very fortunate and uh, you know very happy to to have the opportunity to play. Dan said you uh, had a couple of opportunities uh, in grand finals prior to your actual premiership win. What did you take out of those two prior opportunities before you managed to be part of a winning team? Well, you certainly, uh, you certainly get a lot hungrier. Um, you know, you want the opportunity to go out there and actually play in a grand final. And obviously, you need to perform uh, week in, week out during the year to actually um, be able to uh, be there when you're in the finals in the grand final scenario. But um, having um, had two um, opportunities that uh, slipped through my fingers, you get pretty damn uh, hungry to uh, to actually play, and it certainly provides you with a, a great motivation to, to 
keep working hard and be the best you can be as a player um, and, and as part of the team so that when the opportunity presents itself, the hard work um, pays off for you. What is what is grand final week like in terms of the parade? And, and I'm sure you friends that you didn't know you had are suddenly asking you for tickets and, you, you know, everyone wants to know you and you're, you're trying to concentrate on training and you yourself are trying to probably wrap yourself in cotton wool so you don't get injured during the week. What is that? What is the 82 grand final week like for you? Um, it's an interesting week. Um, I think, uh, I suppose, first of all, the coach um, said that, you know, we're, we're, we're going to play in the grand final and first and foremost, enjoy enjoy it. You know, the pages of, um, you know, your career will finish pretty quickly uh, or close pretty quickly. So um, enjoy it, but at the same time, um, do the, you know, the same things that you've been doing. I remember when Jezza was coach in 79, you know, you don't change anything. You know, if you have a couple of stubbies on a Friday night sit in front of the TV, just, just do it because um, you just got to maintain um, a consistent approach to your game. Don't change anything. Just enjoy it and uh, and um, just just try and be as normal as you can. Um, you know, we had some funny nights at training. I think uh, you all, you know, your, your senses are really heightened at training. And I remember Leo Brooks, who was uh, a bit of a character around the footy club in that period of time. He was actually the uncle of uh, Jason and uh, Mark Moran, which are pretty infamous uh, gangsters in Melbourne. But uh, Leo, um, he actually um, <laughs> uh, had a house in Carlton and a few players, Mark McClure and Mike Fitzpatrick, actually stayed with him for the first 12 months, Bizzasto. Um Anyway, during the uh, the course of the night, you'd be doing a bit of stretching before going out or after training and he'd throw a couple of crackers into the into the room, which which would certainly break the um, you know break the tension, and everyone had a bit of a laugh and, and all that sort of stuff. So it was a, a a normal, different week, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. You started off uh, your career with Carlton, and obviously after your flag win, you've had a couple of years uh, until you went over to the Saints. What was the uh, the biggest difference in culture wise between the the Blues and the Saints that you found? Um, well, I, I suppose Carlton was uh, a very successful team. We had a uh, you know the, the, the talent pool that we had at Carlton was just uh, unbelievable, um, very professional. Um, you know, you had a pair of shorts that were a bit dirty. You just go to the property steward. You know, Kenny Kleiman and, uh, and Monkey and uh, they give you a new pair of shorts um, or a pair of socks, whatever you needed, you just grab. Um, when I got down to St Kilda, I, um, you know, you, you got one set of uh, one set of gear, you know, socks and shorts, and uh, if you lost a pair, you had to go and buy it. You had to buy a pair. So <laughs> things were a little bit different down there. The training, the way we, we used to prepare ourselves, um, you know, during the week and uh, and uh, for games and so forth, these guys had you know had no idea about um, you know being professional footballers. They um, you know it was a pretty um, it was like a uh, like a country um, footy club um, in comparison to Carlton. So that was a significant difference. And I think um, I think the guys at Carlton ended up coming down. There was McConville and myself, and then Spiro and Alex and Bomber. Um, we we certainly changed um, the culture down there from one of being a bit of a party club to one of um, preparing yourself in the right way and learning how to win games. Yeah, it had a huge um, effect on turning St Kilda around. Mate, the 
of, of, of all the grand finals, um, and I love my grand finals, I reckon, you know, 89 is probably the, the great one. And then after that, I reckon you almost put 82 in that top handful. And I reckon it gets overlooked a bit, the grand, the 82 grand final. I'm not sure why, but um, for me, it's one of the most fascinating grand finals of all time. And I loved researching it and hearing all the stories about it. And David Parkin told me, who was coach at the time, and he told me how... Uh, he, he said, this is his words, he said, I'm embarrassed looking back about what I told my players to do before the grand final. I just had this feel, this sense. Uh, so I stopped them in the race as they were going out and I said to them, knowing the Richmond mentality, uh, Richmond mentality, one of you smaller blokes is going to get knocked out. So if any of our blokes go down in the first 10 minutes, turn around and knock the bloke out who's standing next to you. And when he wakes up and says, what was that for? You say, that's for my little mate. Now, is, uh, is that true that you all stopped in the race and uh, were given an instruction? Yeah, so essentially, um, Richmond had been a very physical side all year. They were by far the, the best side in the competition, and they actually beat us by 50 points in the second semi. So um, they thought that they had our, uh, our measure. Um, they were going to physical, you know, phys- um, physically knock us around. And Parkin just said, "Well, you know, there, there's a, you know, one of the things that uh, is going to challenge us a bit during the day. We've got to stand up for ourselves and let them know that um, they're not going to walk over us." So Parkin said, uh, "You know, if someone gets knocked over, just turn around and give the guy beside you a quip and just tell him that's for, you know, that that incident just happened there." And uh, um, suffice to say, I um, gave uh, Mark Lee a little tap on the chin, and it wasn't, a, you know. <laughs> big hit but I just gave him one to, to let him know that I, you know, we weren't uh, <laughs> going to be pushovers and uh, that's essentially what happened and I think uh, Mario Bortolotto is the one that uh, stands out uh, and Parkin always talks about, he said uh, you know, he turned around and gave uh, he gave Cloakie one right in the chin you know, and said that's it down the ground so um, everyone did um, did respond in the appropriate way and there was a bit of a melee that went on for uh, you know, two or three minutes and uh, it was. Uh, I think that really did uh, let them know that we were there and serious, and they weren't going to, you know, they weren't going to, um, you know, out uh, out push and, and so forth. Us, us guys. And uh, Richmond had won in 1980. Carlton had won in 81. So it really set the scene to see who was the best team, I guess, of the of the best club of that period. And uh, so it was it was a ferocious game. It really was. And as I say, 89 gets all the plaudits. But this is a, a brutal game. And if you haven't watched it, anyone, make sure you check it out this week because it's brilliant. And Carlton kicked three goals before you even have time to down your first beer. It was crazy. And then uh, then the game settled for a while. And, and Richmond seemed to get on top by half time and you know they're 11 points up and you thought oh maybe it's going to go the same way as you know has Carlton thrown their thrown their hand but then after half time the Blues come out and kick five goals to none and completely uh, blew the game wide open and ended up winning by 18 points uh, and there's a moment in that game where where um, just when things are happening and Richmond rich some Richmond people say this still affected the game but um, tell me about uh, when a young lady, a young blonde lady, ran onto the ground and made a beeline for the middle of the ground where uh, where you and a couple of others were standing. Yeah, so we actually had a bit of a run on, and uh, she came out with a carbon scarf and uh, nothing else. Um, she ran out in the ground, um, and uh, she chased after Brucey Dill, and then chased after I think chased after me. I was far too quick for her. <laughs> and uh, Jono ended up grabbing her by the, the scruff of the neck and, and sort of uh, leading her off the ground. But in amongst all that, 
Kenny Hunter had been uh, knocked out about three or four minutes beforehand, and he was sitting on the bench. And the doctor's trying to, uh, you know, ascertain whether he could go back on and uh, and so forth. And uh, asked him, you know, what day it is? And Kenny said, I think it's Saturday. And this streaker ran past in front of him, and uh, the doc said, you know where you are? And he said. <laughs> <laughs> It's just, yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's where you're looking, and it's, uh, it's, it's um, uh, a few people. I think Wayne Johnston was was the one who told me that he he'd never seen Bruce Dool in the centre before, and suddenly he's there when uh, when the lady's there. So uh, Helen D'Amico, wasn't it? And the, yeah, I tried to find Helen for when I was writing the book, but I couldn't track her down. But I have seen she's been interviewed a couple of times in the past. Just a sensational. It just added to the drama of an amazing, amazing day. Oh, uh, have you got something you want to ask? Oh, I was just because apart from that moment, uh, what what other uh, grand final moments do you hold hold dear to yourself? Um, I, I think just um, you know running onto that ground. I think it was about one hundred and ten thousand people to get the roar um, as you go down the race and um, you know run through the you know the the uh, the banner and uh, getting out on the ground and. You know, it's a, it's a thing you dream about doing. You know, it's just the most amazing feeling. And I remember, um, you know, you get into the game and, and once you get into a game, the adrenaline goes and you just do your stuff. And I remember the siren went and um, all of a sudden it's like um, waking up from a dream with, uh, you know, with no clothes on in the middle of the <laughs> in the middle of the MCG. That's what it feels like. You look around and you go, my God, I mean, you know, there's all these people and, and stuff because you've been so focused on playing the game and the combat and everything else. You, you, you become oblivious to everything else that's going on and it's only at the end of the game that you actually, um, reality kicks in and you, you, you're back in, in, in this ground again. You know, it's like having a um, out-of-body experience, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, and I'm glad you did keep your clothes on. Um, they may not have stayed on that night, but at least they were on for the key moments. But uh, the other, uh, most people, most clubs aftermath of a grand final, you know, you go back to the club and you you have a few drinks and you and a few more and you and you run amok in your local area. But the unique thing with uh, Carlton in 1981-82 was they got a special trip after the grand final, didn't they? Just tell us about uh, where you went as part of your celebrations. Well, there was a couple of couple of things that we did do. Um, first of all, uh, the um, after the um, the Hawthorne the, the preliminary final, um, we were playing soccer on the Sunday morning, and uh, Curly Austin was goal um, uh, was playing as a goalie, and uh, Frank Marcazzani inadvertently ran through him and uh, ruptured a blood vessel in his leg, and uh, he ended up in hospital and. Uh, Suffice to say, he didn't play in the grand final. So after the grand final, uh, we got the bus and uh, we went to the hospital and, uh, you know, 20 of us uh, walked into uh, his room and uh, spent a half an hour with him and got some pictures with him with a, with a cup and everything else, which is, I suppose, a little bit similar to uh, um, Peter Cremins, but uh, not in the same, the same sort of way. But um, what you're alluding to there, uh, Dan, is uh, the Prime Minister at the time was... Uh, was Malcolm Fraser, and he said, uh, "Guys, if you win the win the game, um, I'll fly out to the lodge." So he did that in '81. All the guys went up there, and uh, lo and behold, '82, the same story. We got flown up to the lodge, so we've all turned up there. And in fact, I uh, this is when I realised my my nickname had stuck when Tammy Fraser asked me to. Pass. She said, "Oh wow, can you pass the salt and pepper?" 
But um, <laughs> a few of the boys, a few of the boys, having a pretty good time, and uh, <laughs> I think Harms is. I think Alex said to Harms, "Do you reckon we'll ever get up, back up here again?" And and uh, Harms said, uh, "Piggy's Harms said, I don't think so." So they all started to put a bit of silverware in their pockets, you know. And um, I remember we got a note from the Prime Minister saying, really appreciate you guys coming up for the uh, you know, the lunch or dinner at uh, the lodge, but can you please send back all the silver you stole? <laughs> and Harmsley even admitted to me that he, he put a golf club down his pants. Now, I don't know if that was true or not, but it was a pretty good story. But that was, that was, the, that was the sort of... Uh, Team, you were sending up to the lodge. Uh, <laughs> they had a few different characters. Must have been a putter. It wouldn't have been a driver because his legs were too short. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just amazing experiences, though, isn't it? And uh, you must have. I mean, you're a, you're you're born in New Zealand, so you must have just pinched yourself and thought, "This is this is unbelievable." I'm a premiership player. Yeah, so uh, I think a few of the guys um, in the first couple of years of playing at Carlton, they played in uh, 79, 81, 82. They said, how, how good is this? You know, we've been here three years, we've got three premierships, or four years, we've got three premierships. Yeah, um, yeah but um, I, I came across when I was quite young and lots of stuff. And But, um, you know, to realise, I pinch myself all the time. I, you know, see a grand final, I say, you know, I've actually played in one of those. So it's a memory you can't, um, you can't lose or someone can't take away from you. It's, uh, it's a very um, humbling experience. And to do it with your best mates um, that you've, uh, you know, you've died for over the last few years and put the work in and um, you share the rewards you you get. And we've got a a bond for life with the the guys that we played uh, together with that period of time. Yeah, and, and oh, they're, they're very much one of the tightest groups I've interviewed in terms of just great mates who just love each other and love their families and just great friends. So uh, it's amazing what premierships and a, and a great club can do to, to form a bond like that. And, and well, just before we let you go, mate, well, who, who who's your tip for this week, Rich? I don't know if you're still... Uh, Hate Richmond after your playing days or not, but who, who, do, who are you favouring for Richmond and Geelong this Saturday night of all things? Yeah, interesting uh, question. I uh, I watched Brisbane and the the Cats on the weekend, and I thought the uh, Brisbane would do the job um, given the circumstances of the uh, the season. And I must um, acknowledge that the AFL done a fantastic job in at least getting the season um, up and running and uh, getting it to a to a grand final. It's been a fantastic job. Um, I thought uh, over the last four or five weeks, I thought Richmond, you know, even though they've been playing not well, um, they'd been winning, and I thought that they were lay down Mazzia to win the flag. Uh, not so sure now. I've um, seen um, the strategy of um, uh, the uh, uh, Geelong coach. He's uh, just he's yeah, Chris Scott. He's just nailed, you know, shutting teams down. You know, whatever you do in a game, he just shuts it down and makes it very very difficult for you to. And they're playing the game on their terms. So I think with Ablett, mm. um, his last game, I think Dangerfield is uh, really keen, obviously, to play in a grand final. And there is some, you know, a fair bit of talent there anyway in Geelong. And I think it's their, their, their last opportunity with this group of players to be able to get across the line. So I'd, I'd slightly uh, lead towards Geelong. I think they're prepared yeah. and ready to go. Yeah, I think we're all sort of uh, it's toss of the coin stuff, but we've definitely got the best two teams, I think. And uh, and just the Norm Smith medal tip, mate. I know um, Morris Rioli won it in your '82 Grand Final, the first one to win it in a losing team. Who who do you think's going to salute this week? Ablett. 
Ablett, one one uh, emulate his dad and uh, and win a yeah, just one last one last go at it. That would be. Uh, <laughs> we thought Shane Crawford's was a pretty crowning moment when he won a premiership in his last game, but I reckon if Ablett gets the Norm Smith, uh, that'll be that will be one of the greatest things of all time. So, uh, well, we will see how we go on on Saturday night. Well, thanks heaps for joining us, mate. I always love chatting with you, and uh, yeah. The buzz of grand final week, it, I'm sure it never goes away. Exactly right. Thanks, thanks, Dan. Thanks, and uh, Owen, I uh, wish you all the best for uh, the Saints next year. I reckon they're going to have a bumper, bumper year. Certainly hope so. <laughs> Cheers, <laughs> all right, mate, take care. Okay. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye. <laughs> there you go. One of, the, one of the great men in footy and uh, one of my great friends. And, uh, yeah, if you uh, – I, I actually wrote, O oh, in the – in Larrikins and Legends, that at one point in that grand final, Ware was so worked up he was ready to eat Mark Lee's opponent. He was that fired up, and uh, that was the he was a fearsome sight to play against. I imagine so. Uh, yeah, if you get a chance to watch that game, if you haven't seen it before, it is it is seriously one of the great grand finals, and um, yeah, and he's one of the great characters from it. Yeah, definitely from a fearsome era too. Uh, you you either be fearsome or you you yeah. don't get over the line. So. Uh, definitely yeah, came out sure. the right end of that and, one. And, and you touched on St Kilda, mate, and, and he's right. Um, well, going there and, and um, Ken Sheldon and, um, sorry, and Alex Marcou and um, um, uh, who else went there? A handful of others went there from Carlton and and it, it, it coincided with the likes of young Tony Lockett there and Stewie Lowe and Rob Harvey, Nicky Wimmer, these guys, Nathan Burke. And so it was really important in helping to turn the club around. We know how good St Kilda were during the 90s and uh, the arrival of those Carlton blokes was really critical. It's probably when you're just sort of starting to follow the Saints, so you, you're starting to see uh, a club on the rise. Yeah, well, my childhood heroes were all Winmar and Harvey and, and Burke and Lowe and... And all those guys. So yeah, if they've well, probably a, a bit before my time um, when Wow went over there, but uh, yeah, if they definitely had a contributing factor to those guys uh, being as good as they were, then yeah, all credit to him. Now we uh, we're not going to touch on the Brownlow tonight because it's actually being f- we're recording this on the Sunday night and it's it's happening as we're speaking, so it's pointless really giving much of a prediction or anything because. Everyone will know the result before this gets published tomorrow. So, but it, I, I realise that Lockie Neil jumped out to a pretty handy lead, so there's a good chance he'll go on with it. But uh, we won't uh, we won't go into that because it's happening as we yeah, speak. Got, so, be old news. I've, I've got it going now as we speak. So uh, it's pretty fair to say. So as we're recording now, it's round thirteen. Lockie Neil twenty five votes. Uh, second wow. is Patrack on fourteen. So got a fair old lead there. That's amazing. Do you? If he keeps tracking like that, and it's a shorter season, if it was a full season, um, he's on track to break the record for the most um, by one set of umpires in the history of the game. And then we know how good Dusty mm. Martin was a couple of years ago, and that five as well. So wow, we that's a, that's a pretty amazing performance. Uh, um, yeah, so there's a fair chance you'll be talking about Lockie tomorrow before you even listen to us, because it sounds like he's on his way. But uh, yeah, we won't we won't we won't spend too much time on it right now. But um, the, the prelim finals, though, um, I <laughs> someone asked me on the Friday night, they said, oh, who are you tipping? And I said, look, I 
<laughs> I want Port to win, but I think Richmond will, and I want Ge- I want uh, Brisbane to win, but I think Geelong will. And uh, it was a bit like Pete Sampras or uh, Roger Federer. You just knew that uh, the great clubs were going to perform when it mattered. And uh, what did you what did you take out of um, Friday night? First of all, I'll just I'll just um, go through the scores. Um, yeah, Richmond. It was a it was a ripper game, really. Um, Richmond, yeah, six ten. And they could have kicked straight, I know, but 16-46 to 6-4-40. Port Adelaide's been on top every game this season. They won their first final and you thought, yep, this is the this is the year. And then the final hurdle, they uh, they just could not get over the, the line, even though they really <laughs> had a crack and fought it out right to the end. They did. This is definitely the, the better two prelims. Uh, better of the two prelims, should I say. Yeah. Uh, mm. Yeah, well, my uh, finals tipping is right down the gurgle, I mean. <laughs> Everything great, I've tipped has uh, <laughs> not gone well, no. I think I've got about two out of the whole lot. So, uh, yeah, if you're punting on, on my account, don't get off me very quickly. Uh, I felt Port were really good early, uh, just wasted some of their opportunities when they were on top. And Tigers took a little while to settle, but they managed to, to hurt Port when they actually had ascendancy over the... Over their opposition, uh, both teams were pretty sloppy early, uh, but the contest was hard and tough, so they were throwing a lot at each other. And uh, both sides' defensive units re- really worked overtime, particularly in that first half, and they definitely earned their paychecks for sure. Uh, Tigers really started the third term looking a bit more dangerous and a bit more efficient than Port. Uh, their ability to hurt Port on the turnover was a, a contributing factor, I felt, in the end of the game. Uh Port's inability to put scoreboard pressure on when they were on top wasn't helping them either. Yeah. Uh, last term, last term, Port really wasted their ascendancy early. Um, Richmond's ability just to have one-touch grabs and clean disposal, I felt, really uh, weighed the scales in their favour. There were several times where Port put their ball carriers under pressure with their poor disposals, just handballing to their feet and behind them, just not to their advantage and really hurt them in the end. Um, Port's forwards were well beaten as well. Uh, Laddams had a night to forget. Marshall was ineffective. Uh, Motlop had no effect either. And obviously, um, Bolter had a really good game on Charlie Dixon, who didn't have much of a say either. Um, Surprisingly, Port's mids probably had more of the ball than Richmond's mids, uh, but Richmond's were just more damaging. They just did a lot more with it when they had it. Um, I didn't feel uh, Dusty took the game by the scruff of the net, but he just did what he had to do, just went about his business. Um, Prestia has been really good since he's come back into that side and probably a timely inclusion as well, yeah. given the time of year. Uh, did a lot of grunt work with Cochin and Nankervis had a huge last quarter, just um, helped Tigers get, a, get them over the line. Uh Sad to see Brad Ebert end his career um, the way he did, but it was last one last courageous act for him. So mm. credit to him and his uh, career down at Port. If we're we'll probably be talking about him a bit differently if he was playing for a Victorian club. Yep. Um, Port's young guns as well, uh, particularly Rosie and Dersma in the first half were were really good and uh, probably phased out a bit towards the end of the game as you expect younger players to do. But uh, yeah. Port are definitely going to be up there. Out uh, in the next year, but yeah, Richmond just they know how to win. They've been there before, and they executed to plan. Yeah, they're an amazing club, and I think we all envy or, or, or not resent, but yeah, we, we envy the 
the clubs that just keep getting it done, even though we want our teams to get up there and we want to stop seeing them win. But at the same time, we should marvel at what Richmond are doing because it's no different to what Carlton were doing in Will Jones's time, actually. And if they get a third flag in four years, then, and the prelim was the other year, I mean, this, that's a, it's an amazing performance. And, um, and they're a huge chance to do that. You're right with the disposals, the top seven... Six of the top seven were Port Adelaide players, only Dusty with 21, but, you know, Ollie Wines had 24, his best stats-wise. But, again, uh, you're right, there was numerous times there where they were handballing to feed and um, even even uh, Travis Boak and guys like that were making mistakes, which they haven't made many mistakes this year. And, uh, some, and oh, no, Tom Rockcliffe fumbled a bit and he was really quite um, edgy, wasn't he? He just seemed a bit too nervous yeah. about it or just too pent up or he spent all his energy during the week I'm not sure but um, and you're right with Brad Ebert too I was thinking throughout the game gee this is he's putting in a performance that might you know he's not dominating the stat board but the stuff he's doing he's a calm head out there he's one of the few that's acting as a real calm head and yeah shattering to see him get up so groggy at the end and 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 Call it a call it quits after the game, but yeah, if if you're going to go out with a gutsy act, then uh, that was the one, wasn't it? it was amazing. That's yep. the sort of the one they'll keep showing highlights was all through next year, probably when the guys try to back up and go again. Um, yeah, as for Richmond, I mean, what do you say? They're just keep on keeping on. There's a few stats actually. I was just going to read out if I can find them, and uh, just on just on what they might what they might achieve. Um, it's amazing that uh, it was only a few years ago, I'm not sure, maybe, probably not 10 years, but a few years ago when Brendan Gale boldly said we're going to get 75,000 members in the next few years, we're going to uh, break our long premiership drought and we're going to have three flags by 2020. And I don't reckon there was anyone on the planet who mm. stood there and went, yep, good call, Brendan, that's, that's going to happen. I don't even think Richmond fans would have thought he was <laughs> fair come there. And if they win this premiership, he's, they've literally ticked off all those amazing achievements. So, uh, so you'd know being a St Kilda man, but the five-year plans that clubs come along with and you, you go, oh, wow, it's all going to change. And then five years down the track, it's still a disaster and nothing's gone to plan. For <laughs> what Richmond's done off the field with Peggy O'Neill, uh, Brendan Gale, and obviously Damien Hardwick and every um, Blair Hartley, the recruiting man, and a few other people behind the scenes. Um, um, what's his name? Neil Baum as well. Uh, it's pretty amazing what they've been able to achieve and they're on the cusp of cementing their greatness and just quickly um, it would be their 13th premiership they would uh, Hardwick would move into just behind Tom Hafey category for uh, the most premierships for the club he'd go to three Hafey had four Cochin has surpassed Percy Bentley and Jack Dyer as the most captained person at Richmond and uh, if he wins a third premiership he'll be the only skipper in their history to have done so so um, it's pretty handy company for for, for Trent Cochin and and if Dusty gets a third, Norm Smith will be the first player to do that. So there's a bit bit happening for Richmond fans to be excited about. I would have thought. Not wrong at all. Uh, they're definitely in their winning era, and I, I think Chris got quote from the start of the year saying that they weren't they weren't that team. They weren't they weren't the Brisbane. They weren't equal to the Brisbane of the early two thousands. They weren't equal to the Geelongs of the start of this decade. Um, quite clearly, are at this stage. So, uh, look, we might be going a bit early uh, in regards to whether they're winning flag on Saturday. But look, the 
everything's gone to plan for for Benny Gale and Richmond internally, and it's now showing on the field. So uh, well done to them because uh, a lot of other teams have had similar five-year plans and it just hasn't come to fruition. No, and Saints are the kings of them, aren't they? So the the um even if they don't win Richmond, um, I mean, with an 18-team comp and the way that's supposed to be an equal and fair competition with the draft and salary cap and everything, you're meant to win one flag every 18 years. That's how it's supposed to work out by the <laughs> AFL model. And uh, to give yourself a chance to have won three in four years, uh, you're bucking the trend and, you, um, yeah, it, it's quite amazing to think that. And, I mean, we look at Melbourne Storm as well, who've just gone into yet another grand final in their era, and again bucking the trend of clubs that just shouldn't be up there for so long, but they just keep finding a way of regenerating and regenerating. And um, yeah, you've, we we do have to marvel at the great clubs, and obviously Geelong is another one. We'll talk about them in a sec. I just wanted to get a question from you, Paul. Um, North Melbourne, with all the drama taking place with Reece Shaw and, and everything else happening at the club. Some talk now about who might replace him if Reece can't make it back to coach and, and that's something that they'll have to obviously seriously consider in the next few days and weeks. Um, Michael Voss, your thoughts on whether Vossy now has got enough of the IP to maybe be the man to, and he's he's done his time, he's had his apprenticeship, he's, he knows what it's like as a senior coach and now he's seen how the great uh, Ken Hinckley works. Um, is he... Is he someone that you would think would be uh, the front runner at this stage? Oh, he's definitely up there from from what I've heard, and what I've heard is probably what everyone else has heard as well. I don't have any special connections AFL wise, but um, look, uh, yeah, I think Vossi's going to be one of those similar to Rats who um, yeah. tried to do too much in his first tenure and has now learned to delegate and give it everyone else special jobs and uh, alleviate the pressure off himself and just focus on what he can do best. So, yeah, Vossi's definitely not the worst out there. I have heard Ross Lyons' name thrown around as well. Um, apparently, John Blakey doesn't want the senior role. He's uh, been uh, – apparently has told people that he's uh, gone for the senior role at other clubs too many times and been turned away. So that's something he doesn't really want anymore and he's happy in the assistance chair. Uh, I I think similar to Ruse as well, there's talk of Ruse coming in as a part-time coach and they would have to throw, from what I hear, a, a lot of dollars for Ruse to even consider uh, taking on a, a full-time coaching role down at North. But um, he's reportedly more of a manager anyway rather than a developer. So there'd have to be some sort of handover period there. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what they do there and what happens with Reshaw as well. Does he come back? Because all the talk seems to be that he's he's not really going to, uh, just reading between the lines. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens there. Yeah, it will be. I know I'd be pretty happy to play under Michael Voss one of the along with Luke Hodge probably the best two best two captains I've seen in my time so uh, yeah wherever he goes and he might want to stay at Port and finish the job you know they've he's worked up there with Ken Hinckley now for a few years and he might be keen to see that job through but yeah that's that's one uh, to keep a watch on that's going to play out over the coming weeks no doubt now uh, as I said I, I was hoping Brisbane would win and and Get uh, the keep that fairy tale happening of maybe playing a home grand final and maybe winning the flag up there, which would ultimately be the hugest boost for Queensland footy that you could imagine. But um, it was pretty evident early one early on, wasn't it, that they just weren't in the game. Geelong had territory and uh, they just looked a class above, even though it was close. Like it, it remained relatively close until 
late in that last quarter. But Geelong just always seemed, just, even Chris Scott, they were four eight to four three at half time. The Cats and Chris Scott come out after half time and said, "Oh no, we're we're well on top. We're we're really confident with where things are." You know, like he just he was supremely confident with where they were going, and and sure enough, uh, in the last. Half they kicked seven goals to two and ended up winning 11 16 82 to 6 6 42. What, what did you make of the game? Yeah, the cats were pretty much up on, on general play, it's just the scoreboard where they couldn't quite hurt Brisbane until late. Uh, I was curious to see what sort of style of play was going to win out because Brisbane obviously like to use the corridor and move it quickly. Um, whereas Geelong, uh, as we've said before, more of a tempo style team like to maintain possession and just maintain control. Um, Phil Geelong kept the ball, kept uh, moving it forward in waves early, so they used a a wave of numbers just to move it forward. Uh, They just didn't capitalise on their dominance early. Uh, Geelong's – sorry, I just lost myself in my notes there. Cats uh, managed to force the Lions ball carriers into forced or rushed disposal as well. So one thing that was noticeable was uh, Geelong's pressure was a lot greater than than the Lions. And while the Cats seemed to to move the ball with ease at times, Lions didn't have that luxury a lot. Uh, There were a few times where the Cats did threaten to pull away early, but Brisbane just had a knack uh, for most of the game. It's just just to manufacture a goal against the tide, just keep them in, keep themselves in the contest. So the Cats would have majority of the play. Then all of a sudden, uh, turnover would happen, and Lions were able to move it forward quickly and just get that goal. It just kept them with a sniff. Um, obviously, it didn't play out to towards their benefit in the end. But Geelong's inaccuracy also played a big part as well in keeping Brisbane in the game. Um, as said before, they had them covered in general play, just not on the scoreboard. Uh, Lions three goals behind at three-quarter time. I felt that was pretty lucky and that was not necessarily reflective of how the game was being being played out. Uh, big sliding doors moment in that last quarter, though. Uh, Ryan Lester had a shot on goal. Had he kicked it, they would Lions would have been 12 points in arrears. Uh, instead, he's missed it. It's gone all the way down the other end and two, he kicks a goal. He essentially puts... The first nail in the coffin, uh, putting the cats up by twenty three points. Um, it's interesting. I didn't really find um, a particular outstanding player for Geelong. I felt they had a pretty even spread of contributors. Uh, everyone did their part. Uh, it was the Lions probably that I was more disappointed in. Uh, half their midfield uh, didn't contribute as well as they could have, and their bottom six just were ineffective as well. Yep. Uh, whereas Geelong, as I said, had, had a pretty much every tribute to that win. Uh, I mentioned last week that I would have liked to see Brisbane put a defensive tag on Tom Stewart, which they did at the start. So Cam Ellis-Yolman, who came in for uh, Keating Coleman, uh, he was uh, on Tom Stewart as a defensive tag in that first quarter. Uh, I'm very sure he kept in the two touches in that first quarter. And then for whatever reason, Brisbane took him off. And all of a sudden, uh, Tom Stewart just was everywhere. So uh, I'm sort of scratching my head as to why they why they did that. Uh, Gary Ablett showed he still had a bit of vintage left in him. So yeah. that's probably the best game that um, Ablett's played for a few weeks now, if not a bit longer. Yeah. Sorry, mate. Yeah, just about in on Ablett. They, uh, after the game on Fox Footy, they, um, Gary Lyon and, and the others were, were quite critical of Brisbane for putting uh, Daniel Rich on him, who probably isn't the tightest mm. of Taggers in, in plays a bit loose in defence, <laughs> so they were quite critical of that that move and allowed Ablett to do his thing. 
Yeah, um, on the flip side of that too, though, uh, some of Rich, Rich's darts out of the back line were superb. Like you, you sat there and you thought, well, I feel, if I want someone kicking out of the goal square from a behind, I, I want it to be Daniel Rich. There's probably maybe one or two that he didn't quite uh, perfect as such, but uh, there was most of them were absolute rippers and set them up nicely. They just couldn't execute it after that. So uh, a bit of a Bit of an interesting stat to cap off my sort of view on that game. Uh, first time two players wearing number 46 in a preliminary final, so we shot of McInerney and, and Blixarves. Wow. There you go. Good work by you. I know you got that from uh, the yeah. smart man on Twitter, but uh, good work. Oh, um, I did indeed. Yeah. <laughs> Completely uh, useless stat, by the way. Yeah, no, it's always interesting. We like your little quirks. Um, and I... I get the feeling Owen Carter's putting his hand up for the North Melbourne job too, just pulling out um, coaching moves at the start of a game like that. Uh, I'm pretty sure. Uh, <laughs> pretty sure if he's going to be that, we don't want to lose him to uh, to North. So just keep some of those tactical moves to yourself, will you? Just so uh, you don't, <laughs> you don't move beyond my qualify, little. <laughs> um, and third time Geelong and Richmond will play in the grand final in 1931. The Cats. Uh, that was actually played on the 10th of October so there was a second time uh, amazing that uh, the two teams will play off in October and Geelong won that one by 20 points Jack Dyer was playing back in that time and um, yeah so the the Cats got one and then one of the great grand finals really is 1967 it's free flowing it's got some sensational players in that team Tom Hafey's coach and the Tigers get up uh, by nine points on that day with Royce Hart and a few others uh, running a mark, and that was a sensational. It's it's called one of the the best games of all time. That sixty seven granny. So it's been a long time since these two great proud clubs have played off, and uh, as we know, they've been up there for the last five ten years, and, and Geelong in particular have had an amazing fifteen years, I guess. And uh, yeah, so uh, I think I think we finally got two really top teams, and it's actually the first. Uh, all Victorian team, I think, since 2011 when Geelong last won their last flags. That's, that shows how hard it's been <laughs> for the Vic teams to uh, to um, get get there on the last day. That's pretty amazing stuff. So, um, yeah, well done. And and they've done it in probably the hardest year that Victorian clubs yeah. have had in terms of uh, travel and living away from home. The, the non-Victorian clubs would be saying, well, we do this every year. But, um, yeah, for the Victorian teams, it's a bit different. So it's a pretty amazing feat that they were able to... Pull that off and and book a grand final berth. Yeah, there's been a bit of chatter around whether uh, we should have an asterisk on this year's grand final winner. Uh, I dare say that will be well and truly wiped off the map, the asterisk, now that there's two Victorian teams in the grand final. Yeah, I reckon the only time you'd question it is if all the finals were getting played in Perth and and West Coast, because they'd been over there for so long, were able to probably get through and win the flag. Then you'd say, oh, geez, that's been a bit favouritism. But uh, other than that, yeah, I think uh, whoever wins this year is, is well and truly earned it. And we know how long the Victorian guys have been away from home in terms of, um, well, it's, it's three months basically or something like that. So it's pretty pretty amazing feat. So good luck to them. I wish they could do the parade and all the trappings that go with grand final week. It'll be interesting what they do with that. I'm sure they'll have the coaches get together or the captains and hold up the cup and do that sort of thing. But it probably just be them in a in a room doing it somewhere or, you know, we just we lose a bit of that. There's nothing. Have you ever been to a grand final parade? 
no, I'm not a massive fan of crowds, so <laughs> I, I tend to stay away from that. But I can handle the uh, the footy crowd. That's no issue at all. The, uh, I, I do re- do not uh, like to stand around with people waving around, all that sort of stuff. I'd much yeah, rather watch that at home. So that's just me. It does get a bit chaotic, but you sort of get caught up. But as I said, it's my favourite week, so I have been to quite a few. And what really sparked my interest in in writing was uh, my mum drove us four kids down to the from up at Newmarket, which is a decent drive back then, with certain without the freeways and everything. So it was, a, it was a fair session for her to take us down there. But she took us down to the '96 Grand Final parade. My brother was a North fan, and North were in the Grand Final, and um, and James Heard had just won the Brownlow, my hero. So we, she took us down, and I was just uh, blown away by getting up close with all the, yeah, the Grand Final players in the car. And then after walk, walking back from that, is when I bumped into uh, the great Dick Reynolds, who was just walking through the crowd. He'd gone down for a look and. Um, that's that's where my uh, writing journey started, really, because my fascination with him led to where I uh, eventually went to writing his story. So I have special fondness for that, and and I got to go to quite a few in the last in the over the last yeah since becoming an adult, I guess. I've, I've tried to get to quite a few, and there's something about it. I mean, you, you don't really enjoy the days that Collingwood are in it because <laughs> <laughs> they're the times you don't want to be in the crowd. But um, but the, just the buzz around Melbourne, it's quite an amazing. It's such a unique experience, and I, it's. Disappointing that the teams this year won't be able to experience it, but um, yeah, there's just something really unique about it, isn't it? I don't think they do it in. I, I can't think of another sport where they do it. I might someone might correct me there, but it's um, it just really adds to the drama and it shows how much people. And it's because so many of us can't afford to get to a grand final um, very often. Um, it's sort of our our chance to touch or see up close our grand final heroes in on the eve of the big day. So it is it is really special, particularly for kids and yeah, so um Yeah, so yeah, um absolutely. Definitely good for the Yes. Kids. Now on to the grand final, mate. Um who do you think will win and why? I do have someone in in my gut, I feel will win. I'm not sure I should go with my gut though, because it hasn't <laughs> served me well this final series. So uh, it's uh, sitting here thinking which which game style will win out. So we've got Geelong who like to control the tempo and control the ball, and then we've got Richmond who like to pressure the the ball carrier and turn it over and hurt you on the turnover. So. Look, last time seventeen that played out Richmond's way, so seven fifteen fifty seven to four seven thirty one. Uh, Geelong, uh, sorry, rather Richmond managed to close down Geelong's possession game, forced turnovers, them on the turnover. Uh, the defensive pressure was off the scale, uh, really down, and and played on, and it was played on Richmond's terms. Uh, Cats had to play run and gun footy in the last quarter just to try and catch up, but it was all a bit too little, too late. And I, re- I do recall Hardwick had had out coached. Uh, Chris Scott on the day. So be interesting to see how grand final will play out. Uh, Geelong's defence will be key for them. Um, they might not have the speed to go with Richmond Smalls if it starts to hit the deck uh, with the likes of, if you're kicking it to Rewald and Lynch. So they've got quite a number of quick Smalls and Geelong tend to have a bit of a, a tall back line. So they'll be relying on being able to, uh, if if that comes to that, uh, Geelong's mids are important as well if they want to get over the line. Uh, they, they'll need everyone contributing. Richmond's mids will just cut them up if they, if they end up getting first use. 
end up forcing turnovers. Um, one for me, Rewalt. So he's been a bit quiet in the last couple. Uh, in Richmond's win against Geelong in round 17, mm. uh, he kicked four goals. So he was the main main guy down forward. Uh, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what happens there. So I dare say he'll either get Harry Taylor or Lockie Henderson in, in one of those matchups. So Geelong's uh, small forwards concern me. Uh, they can go missing at times. Richmond's defenders are well drilled, so they've got a pretty formidable back line. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, I'd expect uh, Geelong will encourage some stoppages in their forward line as well. So if they can't get clear space for Hawkins to run onto it, a throw-in or, or a stoppage because Hawkins is dominating uh, ruck contests uh, and that's against seasoned ruckman. Like, he's just moving them out of the way and, and giving Geelong first look at it. Mm. So uh, that would definitely be something that Richmond will be keeping an eye on, I would have thought. <laughs> uh, Battle of Ruck, interesting too. So we've had a bit of a dig at recent in how we can have one good game and turn it up for an, another few. So... Uh, this is probably the biggest game of Reece Stanley's life. He can't afford to fade out of this game because Nankervis is going to make him pay. Uh, I'd expect Cats to rotate probably Blixar's as well um, just to give Stanley a bit of a chop out. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. Uh, Richmond's ability to keep the ball alive might be key as well. Uh, just so you will notice uh, most people, the ball end up at the boundary line so they'll, they'll encourage a stoppage when that ends up that sort of area but Richmond will do everything in their power to keep that ball live and moving and they will set up well so that'll be interesting to see if that has any effect on the game and last but not least will we see Danger versus Dusty in the middle Mm, good one that's worth pondering yeah I dare say they'll cross paths from time to time um whoever has the more influential game might be uh top of the Norm Smith medal voting Day's end, uh, it's hard to go past Danger uh, as a potential Norm Smith winner. Obviously, he set himself for this day and he just he's such an impactful player and he does the flashy things too. And uh, the judges will, if he has half an influential game and Geelong win, I, I dare say he'd be a fair show. And Dusty, we know what he can do on the big stage, so he doesn't have to do much to, to win the medal. But um, yeah, you're right, Tom Hawkins is huge for them. I just feel Geelong. Maybe, maybe just don't have the depth that Richmond have, and um, that's probably my concern with the Cats is that Richmond probably bat right down to number twenty-two. Whereas, uh, yeah, I might be doing them an injustice, but uh, some of the Cats can be a bit more inconsistent, I think, than the Tigers and at, at the lower level of the of the twenty-two. So that's probably where I think Richmond might get them. And uh, and Tom Lynch, I know he's missed the odd. The odd goal, but he's 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 in pretty good, <laughs> pretty good touch. He's seeing the ball pretty well. If he if he kicks straight, look out. But um, it it is a mouth watering contest, that's for sure. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to find. I, I can't see Ablett having twenty touches and kicking three goals, but he may not need to do that. Um, you know, like if he can do, his influence in that third quarter on Saturday night was. Enormous, wasn't it? A couple of goals and just some nice touches, and he was just busy and he was vibrant and almost had a third mm. goal actually. Yeah, one dropped short, didn't he? So he, um, he's yeah. We'd love to see him go out and emulate his dad and, and get a Norm Smith medal. And yeah, um, and Joel Selwood's the other one, fit and firing. He's he's your man, isn't he? But you just I don't know with that finger how it's how it's treating him. You know, like I don't. 
he's not as dominant as he was. He's still you're still going to walk on hot coals for him, I know, but uh, he hasn't quite. It, it's clearly hampering him, isn't it? Uh, that's obvious. Yeah, yeah, you can see that. Uh, I, I guess one of the um, more impressive things that came out of Geelong's win on Sunday did it without major contribution yep. from Danger, Selwood and Hawkins. So as we touched on before, it wasn't even spread. So when Geelong are on, it, I think it will also come down to who uh, has a, the cleaner disposal as well because we've thought mm. about whether it's going to be – it's going to be – a Queensland night and it's proven to be dewy and wet and those that haven't been able to handle the ball with one touch grabs and come out second best so yeah I think whoever's going to use the ball uh, as efficiently as possible is going to come out on top because that's going to be super important um, actually my my gut is saying that uh, on the last two games so Richmond were made to work a lot harder for their win I think than what Geelong was and Geelong might come into that game a little bit fresher. I mean, Richmond also have to travel back up to Queensland from South Australia as well. So there's that while they get the extra day, there is a little bit of that element. Does that play into it? Probably not. But the gut says Geelong. I'm actually going to go for Richmond. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see how that pans out. And if I put the muzz on Richmond, but uh, yeah, that's the way I'm going at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's early in the week and things can change. You don't know if uh, there's a late withdrawal for mm. Brisbane, which was pretty important on Saturday night, wasn't there? When Darcy Gardner pulled out in the seconds before the game, really just didn't come up. And um, whether that threw their lineup out a bit as well, yeah. we're not sure because he's been a very handy, very handy defender for them, obviously all year. So um, yeah, you never know. I mean, my, I haven't got the full story, but my cousin Rob, uh, two thousand and nine grand final he played in the prelim and then he was he missed the grand final he was dropped for the grand final but against the cats but on the eve of the game he'd been told during the week that he wasn't going to play so he was shattered obviously but he's so his parents my auntie and uncle they came down from um from lean gather and were in a hotel with him that night they were staying in a hotel with him and then they were going to go to the game i think he was an emergency so he sort of had to go Anyway, but, uh, you know, he could relax a little bit on the Friday night. And then he got a call from the club and they said, go, don't tell your parents, but tomorrow morning you've got to go in to the club, get your get your gear and be at the ground you're in. You, you look like you're going to, you know, we're probably going to play you, I think, due to the weather and everything else. <laughs> so suddenly he's had the emotional roller coaster of thinking he's not in to suddenly now being told you're playing tomorrow. So then he does all that. Doesn't tell his parents, I don't think. It was all kept secret. And he goes to the oh, gets no. his goes to the club, gets his stuff, goes to the ground, and he walks in and they say, No, nah, we don't need you now. So he's had to go through 24, 48 hours of just yeah, just utter turmoil. And uh, they're the sort of things that can play out. I mean, there's stories I was told from the eighties with Mark Harvey and uh, not being told until the last minute that he was in the eighty four grand final, I think it was, and um, <laughs> a few others like Billy Duckworth was eighty three. He got told he had to, I think he got told he had to dress and run out with the team, even though he wasn't going to play, or it was something like that. And yeah, there was a few. There's there's always stories like that 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 come out afterwards, and so yeah, we don't know what's going to play out towards the late in the late in the um, in the piece but at this early stage yeah I'm probably on Richmond myself and I'd probably have to throw a couple of bucks on Dusty to, to win the Norm Smith for a third time but um, yeah it's a 
it's a mouth-watering contest. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. We move on to the next part. Uh, the has officially wrapped up. Lockie Neal is the oh. 2020 winner with 31 votes out of, uh, <laughs> out of this season. So a shortened season. That's pretty incredible, 31 votes. Second was Travis yeah, Boak, 21 votes. Christian Petraka and Jack, 20 votes each. Jack Steele, very good. Gee, that's interesting. He's like... He, He's been a great player for the club, and you expected him to win the BNF, which he did at the Saints. But you you wondered whether he did the flashy to to win the umpire's eyes. So that's a fair effort um, by Jack to uh, to come what equal third. Yeah, very good effort. And yeah, you, you mentioned flashy. I, I wouldn't say that he's probably the most or necessarily noticeable player as such. He's obviously yeah. there is. It's not particularly out there and necessarily play in a flashy manner. He's just hard and tough. So, yeah, great credit to him and, and credit to um, Travis Boak as well, who's probably had a breakout year considering how long he's been around. So, yeah. Uh, but well, well done, Lockie. He's uh, definitely definitely yeah, had the best sure. season out of the lot. Yeah. Well, it'd be. Well, yeah. If you uh, if you made stretch that out to a full yeah. season, that is. Uh, Quite an amazing year, so it's just disappointing, I guess, that he couldn't uh, go all the way and win a... Uh, be playing in a grand final as well, but, yeah, amazing achievements. So well done to Lockie. But, um, yeah, fantastic. So, mate, uh, I think we've covered our AFL stuff pretty well and given you a bit of a grand final flavour, everybody. So have you got any local stuff at all or is everyone just shut down now that it's grand final week? <laughs> Uh, there's still a little bit going along. Uh, it's starting to uh, shorten in terms of content, but uh, there are a few clubs still announcing uh, player signings and re-signings. So, Druin, Boysdale, Bragalong, Trelgan, Hayfield, Puwong, Nyora, more or less, they all announced uh, player signings and re-signings. Uh, just the one coach signing for the week, that was Steve Henry at Glengarry. Uh, decided to pull up stats from some of the Gippsland that are playing up in NTFL. So this is from you. So when this airs, round three will already don't have stats on hand for it. So uh, round two stats, uh, Brett Wanderers, he kicked six goals, 15 disposals and five marks. Uh, Nate Paredes playing for St. Mary's, 20 disposals, three marks, four tackles. Johnny Butcher uh, playing for Nightcliff, kicked two goals. Dylan Collis uh, playing for Waratah, 14 disposals, four marks, three tackles, six inside 50s. Will Collis uh, also for Waratah, 12 disposals, two marks, two tackles and three inside 50s. And Scott's brother, fifth uh, and five marks. Uh, Russell Bennett uh, had a good article for Pakenham Gazette uh, talking about West Gippsland football netball competitions. So they've decided not to become part of a structure. Uh, West Gippsland Football Netball Competition, we're having a decision to make as to whether they be governed by Outer East and just have their own, similar to sort of a division, I guess you could say, of the AFL Outer East, but they've decided against that. So I dare say in 2021, uh, West Gippsland will either fall under AFL Gippsland or they will go solo. So that's their two options at the moment. Interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, boy from Bunyip, Tommy Papley, third in the Swans, best and fairest. Uh, Liam Gath's own Matt Stevick, um, 400 games umpired in the AFL, and I dare say we'll see him in another AFL grand final on Saturday as well. Uh, one old Tommy photo, uh, 
club that doesn't exist anymore. So new G4 club, uh, it was posted in Gippsland history and I've shared it to Gippsland footy. Uh, that was from 1948. So I don't think they existed too long. You can check that out if you're interested. And I know you'd be interested in this one. I saw you uh, like this one. Tura announced their new Guernsey. Uh, so the predominantly grey jersey with the, uh, what was it, the uh, black uh, and teal V. Yeah, and there was a bit of a Magpie logo too, wasn't there, in the middle of it, I think. Um, I love that. That automatically, I don't obviously don't know every jumper in Victoria, but that uh, that to me, of all the jumpers I know in Victoria, that goes to number one for me. I reckon that's sensational. Yeah, they've done a good job there. I don't, I don't think they could have got a bad one out of the ones they gave options for. No. Nah, it's fantastic. I, I, yeah, be interesting to see how it's received by the club, by the supporters, long-time supporters that have known the black and white for so long. But, uh, yeah, brilliant job, yeah, I reckon. Uh, I'd be pretty rapt to be wearing that. If I was any good at playing football, I'd be uh, I'd be quite happy to be running around in that <laughs> one. Um, yeah, so well done to the, the team there. Um, I reckon only – I love my Essendon jumper, but I – I reckon the Fitzroy jumper still stands out for me as one of the all-time great jumpers. But, uh, yeah, no, this one, for a country footy team, I reckon it's right up there. So well done to those at Tura who put that together. Uh, do you have anything else for us? No, that was pretty much it. I'm uh, just going to touch on uh, other jumper clashes and it'll be interesting to see how Midgippy address those because now that they've absorbed the Alberton clubs, there, there are a couple of other jumper clashes. So Foster coming in will clash with both uh, yellow and black. Uh, the one is Ian and Ballara, both the demons. So uh, that'll be interesting to see how they handle that one. I think everything else, there, there's no other clashes there. So just off the top of my head, uh, I could be wrong. There might be one else there, but they were the two that – that stood out. So I did see a post from someone at Foster saying, do we need to wear a predominantly yellow jumper when we play Merby North? But who knows what's going to happen there. Be an interesting year 2021, that's for sure. (laughs) Well, um, and and just how how has Dan's latest announcements affected you and your workplace there at BCF? You... uh, you Good to go? You're good to welcome uh, people back yet or is that still a bit, bit of time off? Monday, November 2nd uh, is when Vic Metro Retail is planning to reopen. Apparently so there could be potential to earlier. I don't necessarily see that happening. Everyone would have to be on their very best behaviour and I think we've put a couple of months that not everyone uh, is really willing to be on their best behaviour. So <laughs> I, I dare say November 2nd is, is the day. So uh, that gives me a couple of weeks to prepare and uh, we'll be ready to go. There'll be some shocks in uh, retail and restaurant and everywhere when the customers start coming back <laughs> in and be like, what the hell do we do? Because you'll be getting asked questions, you won't have answers to you. Who are these people talking to me? Because it's just been so <laughs> surreal. I'm wrapped, for, I'm wrapped for family and friends in Melbourne that uh, that's 5Ks is pretty much, uh, by the time you're listening to this, has pretty much been uh, stretched out to 25Ks, which is fantastic for them because, uh, yeah, I know there's been some idiots that have tried to wreck it for everyone but yeah i guess when you look at the overall numbers of people living in melbourne we're talking what five million or something uh it's pretty amazing to think that uh aside from a few morons uh overall <laughs> what what they've been able to do as a collective is is really quite remarkable you couldn't have predicted that a city could uh 
do that, even though I'm sure a lot of them want to punch the wall and uh, you know run Dan out of town. Uh, pretty pretty remarkable what uh, we've been able to do as a collective over this last few months. Yeah, you're not wrong, and and you're also right on the fact that you have uh, people that want to put Dan through a wall. That's <laughs> Dan Andrews, but uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it, it's been a struggle for a lot of people, and yeah, I, I've been one of the lucky ones where I've been able to work throughout, and has been that fortunate. So yeah, uh, it'll be good that people get back into their jobs and and back on track, and hopefully, uh, p- people that aren't doing the right thing don't ruin it for the rest of us. Yes, fingers crossed. Um, well, grand final week, everyone look forward to it, enjoy it as best you can, even though most of us will still be, I guess, uh, restricted in what we can do barbecues-wise and things like that. But if I'm sure there'll be a lot of TVs uh, for Saturday night, which would be very interesting to see how the how the uh, experiment works. I'm sure it'll go well, and then, uh, and then we're probably going to struggle to get it back to a day game, but... Um, yeah, it'd be interesting. I, I, I must admit, I, I hadn't heard of half the entertainment that's going to be playing, but um, yeah, I'm sure <laughs> I'll know a couple of their songs once they get singing. But uh, yeah, I didn't really know a lot of them. Oh, just one more, mate. What did you think of the? Uh, I noticed the cost wasn't really revealed, but uh, just ripping up a bit of the MCG grass and taking it up uh, up north via truck, special delivery wouldn't have been a cheap experiment or or really needed. Um, but uh, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, it's a bit of a wank, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, look, I, I, probably in the bit doesn't need to be done. Um, I, I, I get the concept of it. You on the MCG for forever, then uh, you you want at least someone to or the players to be able to walk on the hallowed turf of the MCG, even if it's not there. But yeah, I, that money, I dare say, which is a fair amount, uh, probably could have been better spent elsewhere. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Um, last time it wasn't at the MCG was 1991 and uh, we know what took place in the entertainment version on that day, the great Batmobile and Angry Anderson. So let's hope they can emulate <laughs> that uh, during our during our, uh, our Odyssey up to Brisbane. It'll be very interesting how that plays out. Um, big thank you to Will Jones. I hope you enjoyed having a chat with Big Warren because... Um, yeah, he's a fascinating man and uh, he got to experience what it was like on Grand Final Day. Make sure you check out the 1982 Grand Final if you get a chance because it really is uh, one of the great Grand Finals and you'll see just how scary Big Wow was with his tats and his uh, his big moustache and he's, he's a massive man. Uh, yeah, but uh, both of us really appreciate uh, Well checking in from Sydney for, uh, for a chat. It was fascinating. And uh, we will be back next week, next Monday, for our last show. Um, we'll probably get our old mate Bob Ketty back in because uh, he, no one analyses the game like Bob and uh, he'll be able to give us a really good insight into everything that played out during the grand final. We'll have a big analysis of the game. Owen Carter's, uh, if he's not ahead of Bob, he's second in his analysis uh, giving. <laughs> so you've got two of the best to break down the game for you. I'll just add a bit of waffle on the side. But, uh, yeah, so we'll be back for one more show next week. So big thank you to everyone again for tuning in any given Monday brought to you by the Paper News, which uh, sadly announced it won't be uh, continuing. It's been a bit tough times uh, advertising-wise and everything, but um, we certainly appreciate their support so far. And one more show to go with Nick and Mark uh, helping us behind the scenes, making this thing come to life. So we'll, um, we'll touch base next week and hopefully by then, um, yeah, we're celebrating one of the great grand finals. 
Indeed, and if you are a Geelong or Richmond supporter, all the best. We're very jealous. Any given Monday.